The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. In today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, we're proud to highlight Rack a leading manufacturer of affordably priced, high-quality hand tools and accessories for the handyman and the do-it-yourselfer, and their innovative magnetic wristband, the Amazon best-selling perfect addition to your assortment of home improvement workspace. For more information and to see their assortment of products, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash rack. Rack is spelled R-A-K. As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases, and by visiting that URL before you make your purchase, a portion of the sale comes back to me and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark, and you'll be helping support the program at no cost to you and letting the kind folks at Rack know we've sent you. I'll be back for our first story tonight to tell you a little more about our friends at Rack, including how those of you in my listening audience can enter for a chance to win a 100% free rack magnetic wristband of your own, as well as get access to subscriber-only exclusive narrations and inside updates just by signing up for my brand new podcast mailing list. Until then, go ahead and make sure your doors are locked, and check to make sure your closet doors are shut like they ought to be. That way... You'll have some warning when they creak open later while you're sound asleep. <laughs> Stay tuned. The show's about to begin.
<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> uh, good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 23. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about eclectic entertainment, ruinous relationships, typographical terror, and hate-filled houses. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of an author who goes by the moniker Cantuno. In it, we dive into the twisted mind of a man dedicated to pushing people to their limits, to see just how far they'll go when put under pressure, even children. Without further ado, I present to you tonight's entertainment. In the dark of the night, little children often feel as if they see demons in their closet and as if someone is watching them. The inky blackness of the night changes their familiar bedrooms once the watchful sun sets below the horizon. For most children, a blanket over the head cures the fears of the night and allows for a peaceful rest, but not for a select few. These few, unbeknownst to them, feel something much more real these are the children you hear about going missing or running away from home. There never are any signs of entry, of course. I'm very good at what I do. Often they don't even notice me in time to scream. A second later their window is open and the wind is gently moving the curtains carelessly around the empty room. This is my favorite part. Because what comes next isn't nearly as dangerous. I already have them safely back in my little happiness dungeon where they will not be discovered. Occasionally, just for a little extra fun, 
I leave them in the dungeon, away from my watchful eyes, for an hour or two, opening the window just above their reach. For how can we feel true despair without hope? Not this time, however, for today I have a special mission. I wish to entertain a little. Social experiment, if you will. I watch from the darkest corner of the room as the little boy awakens, trying, as they all do, to worm his way out of the restraints keeping him to the cold, impersonal hospital bed. He sees the motionless children around him. Fear overtakes this innocent little body. They're not dead, however, simply resting peacefully. He tries to scream and quickly discovers he cannot. His vocal cords rest in a jar of preserving liquid in my sleeping chambers. I turn on the fluorescent lights above the peacefully sleeping children. The five test subjects awaken, confused and afraid, to my little slice of heaven. They all follow the steps of the first to awaken, trying to get free, followed by trying to cry for help. One little girl cries silently, unable to make a sound. I step out of my hiding place and around the tables. They cannot see me, of course, only the shadow. My shadow causes fear in the pits of their souls, as their bodies understand what their minds cannot. There is no Hope. I loosen the restraints on their beds and exit the heavy, windowless door. I lock all five installed locks on the door, always wanting to ensure there will be no escape. For tonight, they interact silently and receive no food. Tomorrow, the games begin. Day One I was, from the moment I read it, enthralled by the Hunger Games, the idea that children, chosen at random, fight to the death for freedom and riches. I must have read the book at least fifty times, each time less entranced by the fiction and more captivated by the idea. I have all the children I need now, twenty-four, I decided to keep this number as a homage to the series. I keep five in every prepared room, except the one room that holds only four. Among those four are my own children. How can I fully enjoy the experience without fear, after all? I keep them all locked in rooms separate from each other, and the children are not allowed to have contact with different rooms. In order for some extra fun, I gave one room a flaw, a hindrance to their chance of victory. The room which the last child was just entered into is not allowed to speak. They are muted. This room should produce interesting results. They will have a hard time surviving. Practice for the others, you might say. The room with my own children has no flaws. The room where the luckiest of my captured stay. Today, 
I begin to get the children to lose their awful sense of morality. Can't have them refuse to fight, can we? I place a pig in each of the rooms and throw in a knife also. You eat what you kill, isn't that the saying? The children seem to have an easier time killing than I had anticipated, but I suppose it wouldn't be very hard. After all, it's just some dumb animal. The subjects who've been in my captivity the longest are the quickest to abandon their love for the creature in place of the insatiable hunger that not being fed for days places in a person. In their rush, they slaughter the pig and ruin the best bits of meat for themselves. They must learn to control their impulses. The freshest captured, the silent ones, do not kill the pig at all. They try to stand on it to reach the window. I applaud them for their thinking, but it'll get them nowhere. The freedom offered by the window is but an illusion. Soon they will find there is a second window pane, which they will be unable to break. I take their pig, and along with it their food for the day. I take all the dead pigs out of the other subjects' rooms, and reward them with tasteless meat from the hospital cafeteria. They don't try to stop me, either from a paralyzing fear or acceptance of fate. I find it so ironic that they're trapped below the building where people are healed from their ailments. I'm not stupid enough to put them below an active hospital, so, of course, they are in a long-abandoned clinic. No one should read too deeply into it. I've paid off the proper authorities. The children eat their gruel gladly, except for the room where the escape was attempted. They sit together starving. It's their own fault. At noon, my next test begins. I must see if they will be willing to fight for survival. I gently place a newborn baby in each of the rooms, along with the same bloody knives from the pigs. They must learn that all life is the same, meaningless. For this, they will get only gruel, teaching them that reward will never come. They cannot please me, only entertain me for long enough to live. The winner of this shall be my protege, to be taught my ways and to enjoy the fun that I now enjoy. The children are reluctant to proceed. One child vomits, unappreciative, of the gift I've given him. The room with the children longest in captivity, the room which had slaughtered the pig first, is also the first to accept this new challenge. In one of those children, I see the beginning of the true light in her eyes, the fostering of the joy which I feel in my entertainment. She takes the bloody knife in her hand and slides it, oh, so beautifully, into the tormented babe's chest. It will never be one of those empty people that populate the planet today. It, instead, will die in glory at the hand of the girl who has accepted her fate gladly. 
The room is rewarded with gruel from the cafeteria. I do not choose favorites. The other rooms eventually come around, quickly killing the unlikely babe in order to not cause it more pain than it has already felt. The new children without vocal cords are far too new to take pleasure in the experience, but they are too hungry to think about the act they're committing. I give them their cafeteria gruel, like all the other rooms. They eat it with such vigor, like all the others I had withheld food from. All the subjects are the same, regardless of age or morals. It makes me happy to convert the subjects to my way of thinking. For the final test of the day, I use the intercom connected to all the rooms. I do this to feel less personal, and more as if it was the world turning itself on them. I speak softly, in an uncaring way, much like a scientist working on a petri dish of single-celled organisms far beneath myself. You shall each elect one of your own in your room to be released from here. Vote wisely. The children are shocked. Their first reaction, as I expected, was to vote for themselves. Who wouldn't want to be free? The hard part comes next. They must choose one among them. Only one can be free, as I told them. The rest damn themselves to certain doom. Who shall be chosen? The richest? The kindest? The smartest? The newly mute room of children are the first to pick one. The child who I had added to my little experiment only the night before is chosen, as he is the only one who still has the will to live. I open the door to his room and allow him outside into the dark, cool hallway. I'm clothed in my doctor's scrubs and a surgical mask. I can't afford to look like a person to him. He must see me as a figure, a monster to come and recollect him any night of his life. Of course I will not let him go. He's placed into a slightly larger room, along with the other chosen. Five selected enter the room together and sit in silence. Where is the freedom they were promised? I roll in an old TV which I've connected to small surveillance cameras in every other room with my honorary guests. As they watch, I release a starved, ravenous dog in each room. They watch in horror as their peers are torn to bloody shreds by my pets. Who needs the Hunger Games, anyway? I have something much more personal in mind. The five remaining are as followed. My son, Tyson. He is innocent, never exposed to his daddy's fun at night. He believes I'm a police officer, and that is why I often leave late at night or at random hours of the day. It brought me great entertainment to hear him tell the other children how his dad will come and save him. The girl who reveled in the slayings, Julia, is also among the few chosen, 
Along with a large boy who hasn't talked much at all, James, a small, wiry girl called Leela is also one of the chosen, a fact I find surprising but amusing. Finally, the newest boy to the experiment who cannot speak, Caden, is among the chosen. I take care to learn their names before I take them from their comfortable lives and into my little games in order to keep record of those who survived longer than the others for the history books. The little room where I've placed the remaining five is comprised of five small beds along a wall and a large circular table with five small chairs. There's an old TV on wheels in the corner where I leave the tape of their friends being consumed by my dogs on repeat. There's a small window at the top of the wall where the beds are lined, allowing for a small amount of light to enter the room. The door is large, metal, and windowless, cold and impersonal. This is my favorite room in the building, and they're quite lucky to be allowed to see it. Save for Caden, they begin to speak to each other. The monstrous girl, Julia, sits by herself in the corner silently. Such a beautiful girl. It's almost a shame she's been entered into my games. Almost. I decide to leave them alone for the night, but not before placing some good food on their table. Steak and eggs. Far better than the grueling cafeteria food. Soon, the children began to turn on the girl, Julia. She sits apart from them, not participating in their discussions, and watches them all with a cool, sharp gaze, not interested in idle chat or weakly plotted escape plans. My son, Tyson, seems to think he's in charge because his daddy is the big-shot police officer. He leads the children in their interrogation of the girl, asking her if she's in on the whole experiment. She doesn't answer them, only continues her cold gaze. Tyson fosters the fear into hysteria, and soon the children will kill the girl. I can't allow them to kill each other prior to my experiments, so I decide to intervene. I show a new video on the surveillance, I showed them the movie Toy Story. I was always intrigued by the idea that a boy could care so much about his toys, so I had this movie lying around. It seems to distract the dumb children from their age. By the end of the film, they are prepared for their sleep. I always find it amusing how quickly young children recover from horrific events and return to their normal habits. They drift off to sleep silently. Tomorrow, more fun awaits them. Day Two They awaken to a picture on the TV screen of Woody from the movie Toy Story, smiling a toothy grin covered in blood. The image stays still, as its only purpose is to rattle their little minds. They awaken with fear, a fitting emotion to begin the new day. I enter the room and place a box of store-brand breakfast cereal, five plastic spoons, 
and five empty bowls on the table in the center of the room. The large, quiet boy, James, attempts to rush me while I place the cereal, but he makes a lot of noise while jumping up from his bed and running to me. I pull out my taser gun and shoot volts of electricity through his body. He falls on his face, the idiot child, and gives himself a bloody nose. He shall enjoy that for the rest of the day although it sickens me that he's ruined his body before my tests begin. As I'm about to leave the room, I remember. How could I forget? I throw a bucket in the room for their little kid shit. I leave the room and swing the door shut behind me, returning to my surveillance room to view their actions. The girl, Julia, gets out of bed and steps over the unconscious form of James, and pours herself a bowl of cereal. She takes it to her corner where she sat the night before and eats it readily. The other children push themselves out of bed and slowly approach James' body. They poke at him and try to get him to wake up, but he's out cold. Children are not meant to feel such electric volts. Tyson pours a bowl of cereal for him and that other girl, Leela, he seems to try and win over her affections. I find it laughable that he's more concerned with her than the events transpiring around him. Caden has trouble eating, feeling the intense pain from where his vocal cords were before the surgery that removed them. I almost feel bad for the kid. He's been such a willing subject. James awakens around eleven in the morning and sees the other children are enjoying a stupid children's show I've placed on their television. He stands up slowly and pours himself a bowl of cereal. He eats it quietly in a different corner than Julia, facing the wall. He seems to have isolated himself from the others. This is unfortunate, as I wanted the experience to be as and contaminated as possible. Nothing to be done, I suppose. I decide that someone will die today. The child who's chosen shall be completely random. I place one piece of candy on five paper plates and place a drop of deadly poison on one of the candies. I grab the intercom and speak a message into it for the survivors. I've decided to reward you with candy. Each of you are to take one piece. I open the door and place the plates on the table, taking care that I remember which one is poisoned. I leave the room and close the door behind me gently, in order to keep their guard down. I return to my room to watch the surveillance cameras and see what events transpire. The children run to the candy except Julia, she stays back and approaches more slowly. Each kid eats one of the candies, leaving the last one, the poisoned one, for Julia. Before she reaches her candy, however, Tyson grabs it. Why should you get any candy, you monster? Na 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 na. Tyson teases her and holds the candy out of her reach. She pushes at him, and right before she tries to bite him, he places it in his mouth and swallows. 
After a second of smiling, his eyes roll into his head and he falls onto the concrete. I enter the room and drag his lifeless corpse outside. And there goes my son. He was unwanted anyway. His mother left us after living with the snotty infant for a month. I only raised him because it would make me stick out in the eyes of the law, and I need them to overlook me when investigating the disappearances. When I finished disposing of his body correctly, I returned to my little enclave to view the children. They all seemed to be in a frenzy, admitting the girl Julia, of course. The voiceless boy, Caden, is crying from his pain and I consider giving him anesthetics. I decide against it. He will live. The boy James seems to be affected the most by Tyson's death, breaking his attitude of stoicism and weeping openly. Leila doesn't seem to care, as she was always having to shove off Tyson's unwanted affections. Julia simply doesn't care. And then there were four. Day three. The next day, the fun continues. They weren't fed again the day before, and it has left them with a nice appetite. I start off the day by leaving three sandwiches on their table. They have learned to not acknowledge me when I enter the room from James' little incident with the taser. I return to post and watch their progress. Leela seems to have developed quite an appetite, as she quickly takes a plate and runs. I had assumed Julia would not be eating, as she has a less competitive nature than the other subjects, but she immediately leapt up from her corner and grabbed a plate. James grabs the last plate, leaving Caden, the one who does not eat. He's in too much pain to eat anyway, I suppose. The children enjoy their meal, as I expected. Everything seems to taste better, in a way, when it could be the last thing you ever eat. Gaden has stopped weeping from his pain and began to slip out of reality. I can't have that. So I decide to give him anesthetics. I slightly push the door ajar and toss a bottle of pills to Gaden. He heartily swallows the pills and I snatch the bottle from him. I can't have him killing himself now, can I? I return to my room and watch them for the rest of the day. Nothing much happens. The children all await their death silently on their own. I grow bored with their silence, and I decide they need some encouragement. I place my mouth an inch away from the intercom and speak. One of you is plotting to kill the others. This statement really opens up Pandora's box. Leela screams at James. James yells at Caden. Caden points threateningly at Julia. Julie simply stares ahead coolly. I don't think she believes me or simply doesn't care. I'm beginning to worry that her not caring isn't intelligence, but instead the sign of a broken soul. If it is, I would be very disappointed. I have high hopes for her. She seems like a good candidate to be my protege. 
Leela rushes at James, and he, seemingly abandoning his introverted demeanor, picks her up and throws her against the wall. She is then the target of a relentless attack. Releasing all the pent-up anger and fear James has held so closely through the past days. James kicks and beats her until she stops breathing, and a bit after that. Eventually, he stumbles back, staring in horror at what he just did. Even Julia seems to have a reaction to this, her eyes widening and her hand gripping tightly the plastic spoon from the cereal breakfast. I enter the room and take out Lila's body. The children follow me with their eyes as I enter and exit, quietly watching. I dispose of Lila's corpse and return to my post. This was an outcome I had not predicted, not from James. I had imagined Julia would break and attack someone, but I was wrong. This is one of those times in my experiments where I delight in the surprise events that occur, as it keeps me entertained. I catch myself smiling as I recall the event, while observing the subjects quietly sitting by themselves once again. I can see the look in Caden's eyes. He's planning to get rid of James before James can make a move on him. I can't get much of Julia's thoughts from her watchful eyes and uncaring demeanor. I decide that this is enough for the day, and I prepare for the final day of testing. And then there were three. Day four, the final day. The next morning I bring them no food. They sit in silence, accepting the lack of food, as they have experienced through the past days. At noon I bring them three candies, none poisoned. I presume they will think one is, and I enjoy the first few moments where they are reluctant to eat the candy. I'm surprised when the boy, Caden, grabs all three candies and swallows them. I guess he wants to die. At 1 p.m., I decide to kill off one of the golden three. I can only have one protege, after all. I enter the room with a revolver in my hand. The children look up as I enter, and James jumps up to his feet when he sees the gun. Caden and Julia look down at their feet, no longer caring for life. I point my gun at James. James immediately freezes, twenty feet away from me, and stares down the barrel of my gun. Pick who dies. James stares at my gun and begins to sob to himself, once again breaking his stoic attitude and showing the emotion underneath. He looks at me with tears in his eyes and asks, Why? I look at him like one would regard a dog who barks too much and too loudly and repeat myself with an added threat. Pick who dies or it'll be you. James sobs openly and points a shaky finger at me. I chuckle. He certainly knows how to think outside the box. Oh, well. 
I fire a bullet into his skull and end his life. I drag James' corpse outside and dispose of it. Returning to my computer console, I discover that Julia and Caden have embraced each other for comfort. So disappointing. I had liked them as they were, silent and aloof, distant from each other. No matter. One will die, and one will become my protege. The final two out of 24 original participants in my experiment. I spend some time thinking about the way I will eliminate one of them and have a winner, and end up with such a simple solution. I shall play the game those children are so fond of. I enter the room with my revolver once again. The subjects look up at me, tears staining the corners of their eyes. They are only children, after all. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch a tiger by its toe. If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Bang! Julia's body hits the floor. Caden stares at me in shock and horror, seeing that he is the only one left. Well, Caden, looks like you're our big winner. What do you have to say for yourself? I laugh to myself. I now present you with a choice. Be my protege and help me with future experiments or die and join your friends. He stares blankly at me, either uncomprehending of my words or not knowing how to respond. I wait patiently for him to show a reaction in any way. After a short while, he raises his fingers to his temple and makes the motion of a gun firing. A nod not trying to conceal my disappointment at this outcome, and point the gun at his head. Well, looks like I'm not getting a helper after all. Bang! The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed tonight's entertainment by Arthur Cantuno as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale. Uh, This one, a brand new, never-before-heard tale from debut author Jordan Van Ooser about the dark side of love and the lengths some people will go to in order to just get a little more time with those they care about whatever the costs may be. Before we proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit about Rack and how their innovative home improvement and DIY accessories can help you and your loved ones get more done and finish their jobs in less time, with less frustration. With Rack's magnetic wristband, there's no more going to the toolbox or searching your pockets. No more headaches from losing or dropping screws, nails, bolts, and other small tools. And tonight, I'm giving away a rack magnetic wristband absolutely free. To enter for your chance to win, all you've got to do is sign up for my new Scary Stories Told in the Dark mailing list by Sunday, January 5th, 2020. To subscribe today, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Otis. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S. You'll find yourself on the sign-up page. From there, just enter your first and last name and your email address, and you'll be entered automatically for your chance to win the Rack Magnetic Wristband 100% free. Not only that, but... You'll get access to the latest news and info regarding the show, as well as access to subscriber-only promotional offers and exclusive story narrations not available to the general public. As a subscriber, you'll also get a chance to suggest prompts for new stories to be written by our writing team and the opportunity to personally request stories you'd like to see me perform next. To get all that and more, Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S and join today. Thanks so much for signing up and for your support. It means a lot to me. Now, if you weren't convinced already that you wanted one, allow me to tell you what makes the Rack Magnetic Wristband one of Amazon's best-selling home improvement tools and why it's perfect for the handyman and the do-it-yourselfers listening in tonight. The rack magnetic wristband comes with 10 strong magnets embedded in each wristband, which surround almost your entire wrist, making it perfect for keeping track of screws, nails, bolts, washers, and drill bits. Headaches and lost time from loosing or dropping small items while working will be a thing of the past with this time-saving wristband in your collection of tools. With its adjustable fit, one size fits most size, and durable, lightweight materials, it's a must-have gift for anyone, male or female, 
interested in DIY projects, big or small. Whether you want one for yourself, or you've got a birthday or a special event coming up that requires a gift for the person who thinks they've got everything, the Rack Magnetic Wristband is the sort of thing that'll make you and your loved ones wonder why you went so long without one, or managed without one. Whether you're improving your home or working in the construction, carpentry, or auto repair fields, you're guaranteed to find this item indispensable. It's a must-have item, great for fixing ceiling fans, recessed lighting, HVAC systems, electronic repair and model building, and perfect for hobbyists, scrapbooking, sewing, gardening, and much more. And as if this wasn't good enough already, with Rack, your satisfaction is guaranteed. If for any reason you are not satisfied with your new Rack magnetic wristband, or any of their other products... You have a full year to return the item, no questions asked. So, if you're spending more time picking up the pieces than getting things done and could use a helping hand, give Rack's Magnetic Wristband a try today. You won't regret it. I know I didn't. For more information about Rack's Magnetic Wristband and their other amazing home improvement products, please visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash rack. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash R-A-K. You'll be redirected to Amazon.com, where you can pick up your own magnetic wristband today. As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases by visiting the URL I've just provided before you make your purchase. A portion of your future sale comes back to me and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark at no cost to you and helps to support this very program. And it lets the folks at Rack know that Otis Jiry sent you. Whether you end up purchasing the Rack Magnetic Wristband or end up buying any of the millions of other items already available for sale on Amazon, a portion of your purchase is shared with us and it won't cost you a penny. All you've got to do is visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash R-A-K and shop as usual. Thanks so much for your time and for checking out Rack this week. Your support means a lot to us. Now that we've made it easier to avoid losing your mind by keeping better track of your nuts and bolts, courtesy of our friends at Rack, allow me to fill it with nightmares with yet another dose of darkness. Uh, This one, a brand new, never-before-heard tale from debut author Jordan Van Ooser. Without further ado, I present to you A Loving Ruination. I'm awoken by Rebecca's sudden lurch upward, the whole bed shaking from it. My mind's jump-started awake immediately, I'm feeling disoriented, inactive, for many hours. My brain now has to remind me where I am. The information floods in. I'm in my bedroom, in my house. It's dark. I instinctively look at my alarm clock. It's 3.37 in the morning. Do I have work today? I calmly remind myself I do not. 
My brain is telling me I'm very tired, and I should succumb to sleep. At the same time, it's telling me there's movement by the corner of my eye. Rebecca, worry about her. Check on her. I fight the crust formed on my eyelids to look over at the other side of the bed. My wife looks panicked, her hair's matted and sweaty, and different, somehow. A nightmare? She couldn't have had a nightmare. Nightmare. I think it's impossible for her to have those. I forgot how gorgeous those woods would be. I actually, strangely, miss them a bit. I'm glad. I wasn't sure if you thought it would be inappropriate. No, no, this is nice. This is where we first met. Regardless of the lonely years I spent around here, it's nice to be here with you. It cements the idea that this place should be a good memory instead of a bad one. You know what I mean? We needed this. John gave her hand a gentle squeeze as confirmation that he did know. The couple continued walking through the trees... Rebecca was enjoying feeling the wind flow through her brown hair. John was worrying about how he would get back. The trees were spaced evenly. The ground had no distinct markings or changes in elevation, like nature had explicitly crafted it to be so precise. And it was getting dark. He knew he things up. The loudest scream I've ever heard vocalized escapes from her throat. My brain is telling me sleep is no longer a concern. Rebecca! Becca! It's John! I'm shouting her name because I have no fucking idea what else to do. Who the fuck are you? She's gurgling through lips that are no longer there. Her skin is melting off. Rebecca stops walking and lets go of John's hand. Is this for me? She says lovingly as she stoops down, picking up a teddy bear from the earth. Strangely, the bear was laying right outside of a bearing patch of dirt, a perfect circle. No, replies John, confused. It looks burned. Maybe some kids were messing around with a lighter up here. He chuckles at a memory, something he already had on his mind. Did I ever tell you... How I used to take my mom's matches and burn paper out here. Just notebook paper for my backpack. Thought it was cool watching the flame engulf and burn. It was something I had control over. Mindless destruction. I couldn't control the loneliness I felt. Couldn't control my father. But I could burn paper. God, it was so dumb. It wasn't dumb. She said with a reassuring smile. Rebecca knew of John's struggles already. She didn't want to dawn on them now. So she changed the subject. I love it when you do that. What? Go on tangents about things. Just anything. You view things like an author. I'm a little jealous, actually. I've always wanted to be one. I never knew that. We've been married for years, and I still have so much to learn about you. Rebecca gave him another small smile. He continued, 
It's almost like you're a different person sometimes. I feel like if you always wanted to be an author, you would have mentioned it on our first date. Maybe second. Absolutely by the time we got married. When we bought a house together. She looked at him irritated. More than irritated. The teddy bear returns to the earth. What the fuck did you just say to me? I instinctively reach over and grab her arm to comfort her. My scream collides in the air with hers. It's like touching a stovetop if it was covered in a fleshy wax. I'm struggling to pull my hand out of the melting skin. I manage it, but some flesh has followed. My hand is still burning, and I can't tell if the blood gushing out of the air pockets of the epidermal goo is Rebecca's or mine. I need to get to our bathroom. I'm running to our sink. Rebecca's still screaming in the background. She's yelling, Where am I? Help me! Help me! The water is managing to rinse off everything, to my surprise, but not the injuries my hand has sustained. Do I have skin? My hand's almost black in color. The pain is starting to fade now. Maybe it's adrenaline. Maybe my nerve endings are just fucked. It's my own fault. I knew I shouldn't have touched her. I'm not sure what to do. So I'm grabbing a towel off the hook from the wall and wrapping my hand in it. Still no pain. I kind of wish I did have some. It would mean I have some hope for recovery. I'm running back to the room. Rebecca hasn't moved, but her screams are getting softer. The skin is almost completely slid off of her now. Unlike my hand, her flesh is not black. It's perfect, like she was just born. The screaming has stopped completely now. Her original sweet voice breaks through all the horror that's filled the room. John, it's okay. It's okay. It's almost done. I don't know what to do at this point. My knees are buckling, and I fall on them. I'm so tired. You're still bothered by the other night, aren't you? I can't help what happened, John. You knew what this entailed, what this meant. Yes, I did. And it was a fucking stupid thing to take on. I was a kid infatuated with a girl, and I ruined someone else's life just to fulfill my own selfish desires. Just your desires? I wanted love, too. I wanted freedom from the life I had here. I was the happiest girl in the world when we had our ceremony. You know, it's me, right? It's me. It's never her. I don't think that's true. Then the reality of the situation started to dawn on her. She starts speaking slowly, angrily. You didn't bring me out here to move past what happened, did you? You did it to split us up. John freezes for a moment, then reaches into his jacket pocket with his good hand. He pulls out a cross. Rebecca's face becomes the embodiment of rage. You're not going to split us up, she growls. She doesn't belong to you or I, Rebecca, John says, his voice starting to convey fear. 
You have to see that. This is wrong. I can't go to sleep every night wondering if it's you or her I'm pressed next to. It's fucked it took this long to realize what exactly it had done. She whispers angrily to him. Don't do this, John. He calmly says, I'm sorry. She reacts the instant he finishes speaking. Her host body bends into an unnatural shape. Bones snap and crack, but it won't slow her down. She rushes him. Blood from ruptured internal organs. Water falls out of her mouth as she forces the body to move. John knows he can't outmaneuver her, so he goes for his pocket again. The speed and ferocity of her make him shake, as he now uses his now bandaged hand to hold open his jacket and fishes around in the inside pocket with his other. He finds the canteen. She's right in front of him now. Her jaws snap open in an impossible angle. Bones are proving no match for her hatred. John fails to pull out the container in time, so, with the cross in hand, he strikes a blow to her face. It stuns her. He places the cross under his armpit, then fumbles with the lid of the canteen. He gets it to pop off before the girl goes for him again. Holy water flies out of the canteen as John slings it. It makes contact with Rebecca's face, and the effects are immediately clear. No time passes before the flesh is stripped from the horizontal line of liquid that touches down. John thought her screams the other night were bad. These came from the bowels of hell itself. This time he rushes her to her. With his burned hand, he bashes the crucifix directly where the water had blessed her damned skin and held it there as long as he could. Just like before, her skin started to melt. It liquefied and traveled down to his hand. He felt no pain. He knew his hand would never serve him again, but he had made peace with that. Rebecca was shouting curse words into the air, some in another language. Not one from here. John almost considered pulling away. His wife was in pain. Eventually, the tempest of words ended, and so did Rebecca's occupancy in this body. The skin cleared, and underneath it lay a girl. Not Rebecca. She was unconscious. John dropped the cross and kneeled down to hold her in his arms. He cradled the girl's head in his open palm. Her soft, blonde hair fell through his fingers. Hey, John whispered. The nightmare's over for you. I'm so sorry. I never should have lured you out here years ago. I don't even know your name. I thought very little of sacrificing your life for my happiness, which tells me a lot about myself. I... I don't know how I can ever make up the time you've lost. John didn't have any more words for the girl, so he stopped talking. He heard a familiar screaming in the woods. It didn't faze him. He knew exactly who it was. He knew she couldn't hurt him in her current state. It was a bittersweet moment. 
He did love her. John managed to lift the unconscious girl using his forearms. The car couldn't be more than a mile or so away. He needed to get her home. Carrying the girl, he walked through the forest, even with no well-defined landmarks that he could use as markers. John made it back quickly. There sat his car, right where he and Rebecca had parked it. Thinking of her made the creeping thoughts of loneliness inch into his brain again. He realized only now they might never truly go away. He set the girl in the back seat. As he got into the driver's seat, he looked at her in the rearview mirror. A million sinister thoughts passed through his head. He put the car into drive and left. I hope you enjoyed A Loving Ruination by author Jordan Van Ooser, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscott.com today and click the patrons link in the menu bar at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Finally, thanks again to Rack for allowing us to share their products with you today. Don't forget... As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases. And you can help support me and this show at no extra cost by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash rack. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash R-A-K. You'll be redirected to amazon.com where you can pick up your own magnetic wristband today or any of the other items on your shopping list. And a portion of your purchase, whatever it might include, comes back to me and the team to help support this program. And it lets the folks at Rack know that Otis Jari sent you, and your support means a lot to both of us. 
Lastly, just a reminder that you can enter to win a rack magnetic wristband absolutely free. To enter, sign up for the scary stories told in the dark mailing list by Sunday, January 5th, 2020 at simplyscarypodcast.com slash Otis. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S. You'll be entered automatically for your chance to win this week's item 100% free and get access to all sorts of other cool stuff like subscriber-only narrations, updates, and more. Until then, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 